Welcome to Andy Staples on three. Big news from Big Ten country on the eve of Big Ten media days. The Athletic reports that the NCAA and Michigan are working on a negotiated settlement in an infractions case that would wind up with Jim Harbaugh suspended for the first four games of the season. One of the longest in terms of percentage of seasons suspensions we've ever seen for a sitting head coach. Chris Ballas from the Wolverine joins us. Chris, this is uh this is crazy because this is this goes into big the Big Ten schedule. Yes, it's Rutgers, but this is a long suspension. It is. Uh, you know what? If you think about it, uh, you think about four games and you think, oh, it's only four games. That's a third of the season. You know, and of course, yeah. they hope that it goes beyond that. But and it's all because of the cover up being worse than the crime, according to what we've heard. You know, Jim Harbaugh not being forthcoming. Nobody would say he lied, but said, well, I don't remember about giving a kid or two a hamburger when they came up for an unofficial or for a visit, unexpected visit. So, yeah, crazy. this was during this was during COVID, right? This is all, a, exactly. all about that we're because. Normally, you can you can do some stuff like this on an unofficial if it's within like a mile of campus. But once COVID hit, they said no unofficials, no officials, nobody there, and somebody coming from out of town. Yeah, yeah, unexpectedly. Yeah, unexpectedly. It's not like they said, "Hey, come on up, and we're going to take you out." These kids drove, I think, 500, 600 miles or something like that. Is the C- way committed it was player, up. right? Committed, committed player. players, exactly. Okay. So. Brings him to a, one of his favorite establishments, you know, and I don't think he even paid for the burgers. I think he paid for the tip and signed off on it and somebody had a receipt. So, And he did what any attorney is going to advise you to do in a court of law, which is say, I don't recall. Right. And then they hand the receipt in. The, the investigator shows the receipt and says, do you recall now? Right. I still don't recall. In NCAA land, it's a little bit different because, you know, in a court – a jury is going to be told, take that at face value. You decide how you feel about that. Mm-hmm. NCAA land, they they decide how they feel about that. And they have decided they don't believe him. And right. so here, here they are. And basically, they're saying that he gave them misleading information, which is what they're getting him for, which people should realize. And, and in this rivalry, I'm sure this is ringing a lot of bells because this is what happened to Jim Tressel that got him fired, although they had a little bit more of a smoking gun in that particular right. case. Right, and it, it was the stakes. I mean, they were ta- we're talking about I think cars and things like that, and you know here. You're oh, it wasn't. About. It was tattoos. Oh, it exactly. Was, That's right. It was That's in the right. hundreds of dollars. It was. <laughs> it was. It was pretty peanuts when okay, you consider well, you that a guy who was dominating yeah. the league got fired over it. Right. That's a great point, you know? So, uh, and you know what? I'm, I'm not absolving him of blame, clearly. You know, if, if it happened, it happened. But, uh, you know, if you look at the national reaction, not just Michigan fans, everybody's kind of scoffing at it and saying, you know, if you look at pay for play and what's going on out there, this pales in comparison. At the same time, the one thing that you know better than anybody probably is that the NCAA does not like being lied to. And if you lie to them, then you have to pay some consequences. It's the one thing they can get you for. That's what I, mm-hmm. I, I said and wrote all through that Trestle case is right. if, if you had just said, yes, this is happening, then it would have been pretty minor. I imagine if they'd said, yes, I, I, I took, we, we took some guys out for burgers, it probably would have been pretty minor in that, in that case as well. But yeah, it's, it's crazy because that's the one thing they can get you on and say, this is a very serious offense. Right. as opposed to actually what you did. Um, it, and it's interesting because the, the times have changed so much. Like when Trestle did it, I, I kind of understand where he was coming from because they would have come down pretty hard on those players. And in fact, still did come down hard on those players. I don't know that they would have come down as hard on the players in this case, but I, I, I don't necessarily blame Harbaugh's attorneys for telling him to take the, the I don't recall tack the problem is when they have the receipt, there's not much you can say. Right. And it's interesting who turned in that receipt. You know, there are a lot of people talking about that. And, you know, one of these guys that might have been that guy is one of the guys that might get a show cause out of all this from what it sounds like without going into detail. So, but it's not just limited to Jim Harbaugh either. You've got Sharon yeah. Moore that's going to be, this is about, I think, a different offense. I think a Zoom call or something like that. And uh, watching a kid do some push ups on a Zoom call or workout. And, uh, but uh, and he's going to get a game. It sounds like Grant Newsom, tight ends coach, is going to get a game. So and and Mike McDonald now with the Baltimore Ravens 
is going to have a show cause uh, for a year. So even though he's in the pros, if he ever wanted to get back to the college game, that could affect him there. So I think Mike McDonald's probably fine where he is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's that. not too concerned about it. Exactly. Yeah. Golly. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk logistics here mm-hmm. because so Michigan's first four games, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers. If you're going to have a conference game in this in this mix, that's the one you want. They're non-conference. It's a little more challenging than last year, but not really. Right. So if this is going to happen, this is this is the time. So, but I would assume Sharon Moore, under normal circumstances, would be the interim. Who's the interim for game one if Sharon Moore suspended? Great question. I think it'd be Mike Hart or maybe Jesse Minter. Mike Hart's got associate head coach experience at Indiana. A lot of people think he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. Probably the one of the four that Jim Harbaugh mentioned. I've got four guys that after the season could be head coaches. I think Jesse Minter, too, if he decided he didn't want to go back to the NFL. So I'm guessing it's going to be one of those two guys. And then probably Sharon Moore for the other three games. So if indeed it is the four games, you know, and, um, you know, we've heard, I think like you have that, no, it's not final. It's got to go through the infractions committee and everything else. So, uh, which is interesting. The whole thing is interesting to me because initially when we talked to people close to Michigan, they said they were going to fight this tooth and nail and it's ridiculous and everything else. And now it sounds like Michigan is like, well, you know what, we're going to roll over and we're going to take our lumps again and and a Michigan thing to do. So we'll see what happens. Well, so this feels like a leak from the NCAA side. And, and you see this in certain cases, and, and it's not just with stuff like this. Sometimes it happens in coaching searches. Sometimes one side of things wants to kind of move the process along and getting some information out there does tend to move it along. This actually puts Michigan in a weird situation. If they were going to go to the mattresses over this, now they have to do that. Now they have to say, we're going to fight you on this. We're going to have a COI hearing. That's it. We're going to drag this thing out. Right. If you want it over with, and you want it over with before the season, you have to negotiate a settlement and do it now. And it sounds yeah. like these are the terms. Right. And it seems to me, I was speaking to a lawyer about this, you know, do you want to just take your lumps and put this thing behind you and move forward? Or do you want to drag it on, maybe have a special season and then have to revisit this and, you know, maybe adjust things if you win a championship and vacate games or something like that. So uh, if I'm if I'm Michigan, I'm saying, hey, you know, if I approach Jim Harbaugh and I say, let's just get this over with. Um, who knows what Jim Harbaugh is going to say, though, because that's the wild card in all of this. He apparently still has not accepted the responsibility for it and doesn't seem to want to. Well, and that's my question. So when we see Mm -hmm. Jim Harbaugh get up at at Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis this week, is he going to push back? Is he going to say nothing? Yeah. Or is he going to say, we've settled it and I guess I'm out four games? I think what he's going to say is what his lawyer said today. Tom Mars, I think, told The Athletic and he's, or ESPN, and he said, you know what, we have no comment because uh, it's ongoing investigation or whatever. So that's why I expect Jim Harbaugh to say that and what he said at the beginning of spring ball, that, hey, when you compare us to perfect, we're not there. When you compare us to most other programs or any other program out there, we're pretty damn good. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not one who gets into the moralizing over stuff like this because it's, it's, it's all pretty stupid. If we're mm-hmm. really breaking it down here, we're talking about a couple hamburgers and some Zoom calls. And I also don't care if they give them money. So none of that really matters to me. And I don't think it really matters to most people watching. But it is interesting that, that you have this situation. And, and so somebody pointed this out to me. Somebody in the Harbaugh camp pointed this out to me today. And I, I hadn't thought of it this way, but... With this information coming out, it is to the NCA's benefit for this information to come out this way because they require the accused to not comment during the investigation and, in, in fact, will punish them for, for saying anything. Right. So, like what you said, Tom Mars, who, by the way, has never met a microphone that he wouldn't say something very interesting into, the fact that he's saying no comment and that Jim Harbaugh probably will no comment tells you where that's at. Yeah, and I can guarantee you that Jim Harbaugh would want to defend himself, and if he could speak, would speak and, and say plenty about it. But if you're being advised, and you know what, by not only your attorney, but the Michigan attorneys not to say anything, then he won't. So, But he will be biting his tongue, and I can guarantee you, I know the reporters who are going to ask the questions. I know the people who are going to ask him uh, exactly to, to comment. Uh, he won't do it, though. 
how much of this from Michigan's standpoint, not necessarily the Harbaugh side of it, but the Michigan administration side of it is let's get this taken care of in case this is a team that can win a national title. Yeah, I spoke to somebody about this a couple of weeks ago, close to it, and they said, we think it will resolve itself. You know, this week they were like, we can't comment. So we knew it was getting closer to a resolution. But I think for the most part, you know, Michigan doesn't like to be embarrassed, even about something as stupid as this. And if they can put it behind them as quickly as possible and say, we apologize, you know, and and we're going to take one, then we're going to take it. So I think you're absolutely right that that is the probably the desired resolution here. Uh, and again, it comes down to what Jim Harbaugh wants too and his conversations with them. So again, the Ohio State thing comes up, but not the Trussell part of it. This Somebody reminded me of this today. <clears throat> I, had, I had, was not thinking along these lines because Urban Meyer's suspension by Ohio State was not NCAA related. It was the university suspending him. But Ryan Day essentially got a three-game tryout as Ohio State's head coach. And lo and behold... They had made a deal to make him the head coach when Urban Meyer resigned at the end of the season. Could this be Sharon Moore or Mike Hart, who, whoever it winds up being, could it be a tryout in case Jim Harbaugh gets an NFL job or Jim Harbaugh says, you know what, I'm going to start a dairy farm. Right. I don't think there's any question about it. I was actually talking to people on the East Coast trip when Michigan went out for spring break and they said Sharon Moore is ready to be a head coach. Ideally, he'd be out there running his own program for a while before taking over at Michigan. But you would ensure that the culture stayed intact. We've seen that at Michigan how many times over the years, you know, from Bo Schembechler to Gary Moeller to Lloyd Carr. They would like to keep it in-house. And uh, they think Sharon Moore is a rising star. I think most people do. So I think he will be the guy at least somewhere down the road. I could see him back at Michigan. I know that he turned down some uh, a couple of Power 5 jobs last year. And he's going to have more opportunities this year. So, And I don't think this one-game suspension for this minor infraction is going to harm his career at all. No, I don't think so either, especially if, if the future for him is at Michigan. And, and Chris, let's talk about that because it does seem like when – the staff was revamped in the aftermath of that 2020 season. That's when things really started to take off. That's when you started seeing not just good players coming, but good players being developed into very good players. I had a conversation with Jim Nagy from the senior bowl last week. That was fascinating to me where he said that there were seven Michigan offensive linemen, upperclassmen, not counting freshmen and sophomores. So including some guys who won't be starters who right. may not play much, who he sees being in NFL camps next year. That's Sharon Moore right yep. there. hundred percent. And he's a star. You know what? And they love him. It's a tough love type of thing, but you know, he played the position and that's important. I think people, some people overlook that, you know, he's played the position. He knows it. And uh, his kids love him. I, I interviewed probably five or six of them for our football preview this year. They all said the same thing. This guy, has everything you're looking for in a, in a head coach, as a position coach, as an offensive coordinator. We had an exclusive with him where he said, I'm not thinking about my next move. And I believe that. I think he just yeah. bought a new house in Ann Arbor, as a matter of fact. So he can be choosy, kind of like a Brent Venable, Brent Venable situation mm -hmm. where, hey, I'm going to wait. So, um, But you got other guys on that staff too, like Steve Klingscale and guys, uh, Mike Elston could have been a, a position or a, mm -hmm. a coordinator somewhere. So this is the best staff that Jim Harbaugh's ever had. There's no question in my mind. Yeah, and we're about to get to see what everybody can do because it, it looks like at least for the first few games the roles will be changing and the roles will be expanded so uh chris fascinating day cannot wait to see you in indianapolis uh this is going to be a a really interesting big 10 media days it'll be fun and safe travels down there we'll see you there brother thanks chris you bet we are joined now by georgia tight end brock bowers you've seen him take end arounds you've seen him catch passes kirby smart's talking about you just whipping people in workouts he also says, like, he came out and said, you're not going to get three words out of Brock. Is that, is he making fun of you on the way over here about this? Um, yeah, he, he mentioned to me that I was going to say that, but, um, I mean, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not a huge talker, I guess. I, but, okay, so, do you think about that, though, like, as your star has risen, and this is, we're in the NIL world now, where you, you build your brand, all that stuff, obviously you have a, an NFL future ahead of you with, with endorsements and all that. Do you ever think about, okay, I don't like talking, but do I have to figure out how to like talking? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't like it, but it's just part of it, and I got to do it. All right, so let me let me break this down for you because we had Cedric Van Pran on, 
And I asked him, did you know that he was a, a peewee quarterback? Like flag football, fat kid quarterback. I don't believe that. Okay, no. so I was asking about, you got to come up with a trick play for him. And you'll appreciate this in your center. Oh. He did not want to throw it. He wants to run the option. But here, oh, wow. you're involved in, in his dream triple option. I was like, Brock's the pitch man, right? He's like, no, dive back. Wow. How would you, you think you could handle like a straight on fullback roll? Hey. Wherever they put me, I'll go after it. But I, I feel like you'd want to put, like, Mims or something right there. That's what I was thinking, there, too. Like exactly. Or something, yeah. Yeah, but that – no, that he wants you on the dive, coming downhill. Uh, whatever works. So, that, and that's what – you're kind of a – it's weird. You're, you're that type of player in the tight end of 2023's body. And have you always been the kind that, that just loves contact and um, – Yeah, I mean, it's just – I mean, it's always fun just going and try to try to dominate somebody. I mean, it's always it always feels good doing it. So it, that's what I was wondering when when you look at how the tight end position is used now. Mm-hmm. Do you appreciate that that you still want to do all that stuff? Cause it seems like there's guys out there that, that just want to go catch the ball. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd feel soft if I wasn't doing all that. I mean, I I don't know. It would just make me feel like kind of soft, I guess. <laughs> that's that's a big word for Coach Smartest. Like, you're being soft. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. A, that is, for a football player, the most, the worst thing someone can say, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, being soft and not being tough. Yeah. And in your program, I imagine that, that you have to prove that day one, every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'm thinking about the level of players that you guys bring in. When these freshmen come in, how, how much do they want to prove themselves right off the bat? Yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all highly ranked recruits, obviously, and, I mean, they, uh, they all, for the most part, have something to prove. So, I mean, yeah. they, they feel like they got to do it. So, your tight end room, how much does that change without Darnell? Because, I mean, he was, he was a unicorn, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're not, we're not going to have another dude like Darnell, obviously, because we're not going to have another dude at 6'8", 280, and move like that. But, I mean, we do have Oscar Delt. We have Lawson Luck. We have Pierce Burrow, and they're all, they all bring different things to the table, and they're all, they're all awesome dudes. So When, when you got to Georgia mm-hmm. and Darnell's sitting there and you're – your your room were you thinking i don't know about this this is maybe a little bit different here yeah i mean yeah if you if you go stand by darnell he's he's a mountain of a dude i mean it's it's impressed like even fitz uh, john fitzpatrick he's yeah a big dude too does somebody I'm, I'm curious does somebody come tell you when you get to georgia like hey they don't all move like jalen carter like not everybody's as big as darnell like the, the people you're gonna play uh-huh yeah i mean they i mean they don't really tell us that, but I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to like go against our defense every single day, especially that defense my freshman year and last year, and even this year again. I mean, it, we're going against like pretty much the best defense in the nation, which helps us out offensively a lot. So Kirby was talking about the class that came in before you in 2020, and how most of those guys have stuck. A lot of those guys are starters. What, what is it about kind of the selection process for? offering you guys and then you guys deciding that George is a program for you that that has allowed them to basically keep your your teams together yeah I think a lot of it has to do with uh, like just picking apart people's minds and like knowing what they want going into it and um, knowing like their mindset and how committed they really are I talked to Will Muschamp about this last year and, and he mentioned that they want people to see practices they want recruits to see how they're going to be coached at practice how how educated were you during the recruiting process to what it was going to be like once you got there i wasn't educated a lot just because i was that covid class that didn't really get any visits yeah and i was so far away it was hard for me to make a trip out and uh yeah so it was i i really had no clue what to expect going into it and but but you survived i did somehow yeah you didn't get called soft or couple, maybe you did a couple times yeah but then said, you said then take you... that soft step back to nap valley is what he said a couple times oh yeah you know, it's not your fault you're from Napa Valley, but it does sort of bring that on, right? Yeah, yeah it does. Everybody, like, everybody's making the wine jokes and people asking, like, what to pair with a good cab. Oh, yeah. Do, do you know what pairs with a good cab? No clue. No <laughs> clue. No, don't know anything about wine. Well, you don't need to in Athens, Georgia, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brock Bowers, thank you so much. All right, so thank you. Thanks so much to Brock Bowers. When we come back, Sean Callahan of Husker Online will join us to preview the non-Jim Harbaugh portion of Big Ten Media Days. 
what's in store for Matt Rule and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And also, Sean has a very interesting prediction for who might win the last Big Ten West championship. We'll be right back. We are here with Sean Callahan from Husker Online, previewing Big Ten Media Days, talking Nebraska Cornhuskers. And Sean, I, you know, it, it, when I look at Big Ten Media Days, I always expect the same thing. Like, everybody's going to bring seniors who've been with the program the <laughs> entire time. But you realize this is a new era in college football and at Nebraska. Jeff Sims, who was at Georgia Tech last year, he's headed to Big Ten Media Days as Nebraska's QB1. Yeah, I, I think when you look at who they could have taken, I I was like, I hope they bring Jeff Sims because he makes the most sense. But you never know who a coach is going to bring. Like a year ago, Casey Thompson, Trey Palmer, those guys were not at media days for Nebraska. Um, and, and you knew they were going to be the key players. But in this situation, a year one, new coach, new offense, um, Jeff Sims is going to be the face of Nebraska this year. Um, and, and he is a big part of what Matt Rule is going to do here in year one. So it does make a lot of sense they're bringing him. And, you know, I, I think we've seen um, – I think there's some other transfer quarterbacks and other names like that as well coming to Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, it's just a changing of the guard in the entire league. And the league is sort of, I don't know, moving into modern times because it is one of the power two now. Like, it, it feels like a, a, just a different era in the whole Big Ten. Yeah, you're right. I think you have to kind of adjust your, your thinking and your mindset on everything. And, you know, what is a senior anymore, even with the COVID years and, and other right. things like that, too? Um, there are just so many things um, that make like who you're going to take with the transfer portal, the NIL era and, and the COVID years. Just take the guys that make the most sense. And I'm glad that's what Nebraska is going to do. Uh, I, I fully expect Matt Rule, by the way, and, and you know this, he, he's going to really represent Nebraska at a high level of this thing too. I mean, for a lot of people in the big 10, this will be the first time they've seen Matt rule. Um, the Penn state media, very familiar with rule from his time there. But uh, I do think um, rule is going to leave a pretty strong impression at this event for everyone there seeing him for the first time. Yeah. He's a good talker. I don't think there's going to be any question about that. He he's going to, he's going to be casual and, and I'm sure he'll crack some jokes and uh, it, liven up what has traditionally been a pretty stuffy event. And, <laughs> I, I'm 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 for it. I, I'm excited about the new Big Ten just because I think I think attitudes are changing. I want to ask you about this because we've talked about this before in terms of what Wisconsin's doing under Luke Fickle, where it is very clear they're trying to win the Big Ten and not the Big Ten West, which is no longer going going to exist in a year. How does Matt Rule feel about that in terms of schematically building this program and roster roster building? for a divisionless Big Ten? Well, I think it starts with being able to recruit nationally. Um, and, you know, some of the other teams in this league generally only recruit regionally. And they only they might focus more on just pure developmental recruits. Um, to be able to beat the best in this league, you have to recruit nationally to an extent, and you have to recruit elite-level top 300 talent. You know, I'm not saying you have to sign 20 of those kind of guys a year. But you've got to be able to be in the neighborhood of five to ten of those recruits a year. And that's what Nebraska's always tried to do um, in the last 20 years. And they have gotten some good players to this place. Uh, the problem is it's the, develop, the developmental players. They've done a poor job of getting the additional depth and role players they need to build the program. They've had some pretty good talent over the years. Um, but I, I think Matt Rule, has, when you look at this first recruiting class, it's a very good combination of blue chip guys that he's got committed for 2024. And then there's about eight or 10 really good developmental type recruits that he's added to this class too. So what would represent success in Matt rules year one to, to the average Nebraska fan? I mean, first and foremost, they've got to get back to a bowl game. I mean, I think about my daughter is seven and she's never seen Nebraska go to a bowl game. And <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you think about like that. Daddy, what's the Alamo bowl? You know, that, and the last bowl they went to was in Nashville, the Music City Bowl. They played Tennessee. Uh, Derek Barnett broke the sack record for Tennessee oh, yeah. in that game. Um, and it, that, that's, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. But that's how long ago it's been. 2016. Um, Hold on, so, ball fans. Butch Jones was coaching your team. That's how long ago it was. Three coaches Mike ago for Tennessee. 
but yeah. just just to um, get back to a bowl game is where you got to start. I don't care if it's six wins, seven wins, eight wins, whatever. They've got to show signs of progress, and they've got to get to a bowl game. And honestly, the first week of the year, what an opportunity Nebraska has nationally televised on Fox at Minnesota. And the Gophers are about a touchdown favorite, but how do we even know? Like, you can't really tell me that Minnesota has a good idea or anyone about Nebraska right now with the players they've added right, and, and, and just some of the things coming in. And little nugget here, Tony White, Nebraska's defensive coordinator, was the coach of Syracuse, defensive coordinator there. Guess who Minnesota played in the bowl game? Guess who got Syracuse ready for Minnesota's offense before he came to Nebraska, Tony White? So Nebraska's new defensive staff will have a very good handle and at least preparing for the elements of Minnesota's offense as well. Yeah, and and that Minnesota offense that we saw in the bowl game probably fairly similar to what you're going to see early in the season because they're not they're not changing a lot schematically and uh, the the guys that that were going to play more this season were getting to play in that bowl game. Yeah, and I think for Tony White, this defense tries to create chaos. It's a lot of moving parts trying to get free rushers at ball carriers and. They've got some athletes that can run. I think the question continues to be, do they have enough size up front physically on defense to compete in this league? Um, but playing Minnesota in August, on August 31st, to me is a lot different than seeing them in November. Yes. Um, this is a different time of year to play Minnesota. Nebraska's really never played them at this stage of the year. Um, so this is where conditioning and you know, weather's not a factor that you can throw it more down the field where a lot of times this game, it might be so cold or windy, you're not going to be able to get that many downfield throws, but this will be a different type of game to start the year. And I think a real opportunity for Matt Rule. Yeah. And, and the idea of having a fresh team going in against that team, which will beat you up is, is, is huge because you actually do have some depth in the, in that first game. And then they get, TC or they get Colorado and coach prime that that's going to be a circus coming in that, you know, Colorado's got TCU. So we're going to have an idea of what Colorado looks like before they play Nebraska. But how, how are people in Nebraska feeling about getting to see the coach prime show? Well, people are excited. I mean, you got to remember in 2019, Nebraska went out to Boulder and they took over 60% of that stadium. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was just a complete invasion. Of and then Mel Tucker's team won the game. And the Mel Tucker's team won the game. Nebraska blew a 17-0 halftime lead and mm -hmm. still lost that game um, by giving up, I, I was like, 38 second-half points. I mean, it was just a meltdown to lose that game with how well they played in the first half. There's going to be that type of showing from Nebraska fans. So, yes, it's a road game, but – it won't be. It will be. It will be as much red in there as black and gold. And I, I think for Nebraska, they will be favored in that game more than likely. They will have a good read of Colorado what they want to do because of the fact they're playing TCU. I mean, there's a lot that sets up nice for Nebraska going out to Boulder. And I do think from a physical advantage. I mean, look, over 50 new players are joining that team that weren't here in the spring at Colorado. How do you get that many guys acclimated and adjusted? to playing football in the altitude in early September that weren't even there for the winter and the spring. I mean, that, that is a big adjustment playing at Colorado. I've been to many games there over the years. And, you know, I, I think for that team coming in with so many new pl players and the opener, it will be interesting to see where conditioning is on both sides. So it's interesting. I talked to Matt Rule a few months ago about what he missed in his time away from college football because it feels like the sport changed – entirely while he was with the Panthers because you had the transfer rules changed NIL changed uh, he goes to the Big Ten and now USC and UCLA are coming to the Big Ten what is that helpful that he just kind of comes in fresh like this or or is it is it a disadvantage that he's missed this adjustment period with the transfer portal and NIL I don't think I mean yes he's missed it but it it changes every day. So I don't know. I mean, like what it was a year ago or two years ago, it's different now. So I think as long as you evolve with the changes of the NIL, the collectives, the portal, how you manage your roster, the COVID years, there's so much about it, but this league is so much different too. You just think about 
when Nebraska joined the Big Ten in 2011, they were the favorites to win this league. And Urban Meyer wasn't here. Jim Harbaugh wasn't here. Tressel had just been fired. It was basically Brett Bielema and Bo Pelini. Those were the faces of this league. Think how far this league has come since 2011 with the money that's been infused those last 12 years and how everybody has a good coach. I mean, there just there aren't any give-me's anymore where it used to be when you played Illinois or Purdue or Indiana or somebody at Rutgers, you just kind of knew, like, yeah, we'll win no matter how we play. Now if you play off on one of those games, like what's deemed a lower-tier game, you lose. And yeah. I, I think that's the difference of this league now is the, the bottom of the league is much closer to a 6-6 six and six type team than it ever was before. Yeah, Loxley's got NFL talent all over it at Maryland, and and Shiano might be the best Rutgers can do. That might be he might be the the one who can make them as competitive as they possibly can be. But you're right. I mean, it, you, you talk Bielema back at Illinois makes them very dangerous. You know, PJ Flex done a good job at Minnesota. Kirk Ferentz, we we know what he can do at Iowa. Who are you most excited to hear from at Big Ten Media Day, Sean? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of great storylines. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested about Northwestern just to kind of well, see yeah. how they navigate through the, the day. And I'd imagine David Braun is going to have a very kind of consistent answer to every single question. I mean, they're, I they're was gonna... at North Dakota State. I didn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's all I would say. Yeah, it's 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 going to be, you know, they're, they're not they're not going to say much, but that that's going to be a big storyline and how that's handled. I think Tony Petiti, uh, the new the commissioner, um, I mean, just think about the new commissioners we've seen across college football, and this will be kind of the first time we've seen him in this room and what his long-term views and outlook is for this league, um, whether it's expansion or other topics. We haven't really heard him talk about those things. And Harbaugh, yeah, but what's he going to say? I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh goes into these things trying to be as boring as he possibly can be, um, and, and he's not going to not really going to move the needle a ton and there will inevitably be Ohio state or Michigan state media that try to poke at him and he'll just kind of brush them off. Like he does every year. I see Harbaugh maybe coming out a little hot because he's confident now because you, you've heard him say some things in the past, like the born on third base thing. Like now he's got two trophies in the case. Maybe, maybe this time he goes, goes out and, and, Throws a little spice in there. Yeah, and think about what he's overcome, almost being fired, yeah. almost going to the Vikings, um, to where he's got this program now. And I mean, and, and they I, I don't know what the official poll is gonna say Tuesday on the Cleveland Plain Dealer, but I would be shocked if they're not the unanimous favorite. I mean, I, I know you can make a case for Penn State and Ohio State, but how do you not have Michigan the unanimous favorite in this league based on what they've done the last two years, based on what they return? Um, they, they are built to win. I mean, like you told us on our show last week, they have seven offensive linemen that could conceivably play in the senior bowl, which I don't know if that's ever been done before. Right, right. And, and that's what Jim Nagy said is seven offensive linemen, maybe not all going to make the senior bowl, but he expects them all to be in an NFL camp this time next year. And that's not including the young guys, the freshmen and the sophomores who may play a role. It is, it is incredible depth that they've built and, and just NFL talent. The secondary is like that too, where, you know, they've, they've got dudes, uh, RJ Moten, who was a starter, was not going to find a lot of time on the field this year because they have NFL bound players. And so RJ Moten's going to walk into Florida as a transfer and start right away. That tells you how deep Michigan is. And it, it's, it's fascinating that they've been able to do that right after flipping that staff. I'll tell you one guy I want to hear from, Sean, is Mel Tucker because he has that great year with Kenneth Walker. He gets that massive extension, and then they were they were terrible last year. Like they they have to be good if they're going to pay him all that money. They just have to. Yeah, that that Mel Tucker story does get interesting, especially as hardball continues to pull away and, and, you know, yeah. when this league switches to no divisions, I mean, the big 10 is going to be so much different moving forward uh, without the divisional element. And at least that used to give an Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, or Minnesota, something to kind of hang their hat on. Hey, we were the division champions. Well, now, yeah. now that won't even matter anymore. Um, so it's all going to be playoff driven, whether it's two or three bids per year from the big 10 and, and how that plays out with USC and UCLA. And, 
I mean, will we see more expansion? Man, I think we're all just waiting for Oregon and Washington and some of those teams to potentially come over someday. But you know, the more you hear out of Pac-12, you just don't know what's going to happen. So the, this, the dynamic of this league, the future of this league, and questions of some of the coaches. Um, yeah, there there is a lot of intrigue uh, going into this media days for, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I, I am very excited. James Franklin kind of flying under the radar with a team that may actually be able to win the league. So it, it's it's a lot. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot because this is the last chance we're ever going to have to do this. Who you got in the Big Ten West? I got Iowa. Okay. Uh, so here's the thing, crossover-wise. Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, they only draw one of the big three, Michigan, right. Ohio State, and uh, Penn State. Iowa's draw is Penn State. Nebraska's mm-hmm. draw is um, Michigan, and Wisconsin has Ohio State. Um, so I, I think when you just look at that, Iowa's got a really good draw, and they, they've, they've upgraded their quarterback. They've got a system in place. Um, they've got a good defense that's probably going to be top 10 nationally again. So I give them an edge over Wisconsin right now to win the West uh, because they've upgraded their weakness. I, I look at Iowa the last few years with Spencer Petras. Um, I mean, that, that that was some of the worst quarterback play we've ever seen under Kirk Ferentz. And I think when you upgrade that alone, even with the little mobility that they're going to get out of McNamara, that's going to give their offense – the boost they need to get those first downs, they weren't able to get a year ago. And those first downs don't always necessarily mean points, but their field position that helped their defense and helped their special teams. I think Iowa figures out a way to win the league. Yeah. One more first down makes the punting into the other teams, you know, inside their 10 even easier, which is as good as a touchdown if you're Iowa. If you if you okay. can if you can pin them inside the 10. But you're right, like Cade McNamara is such an interesting case because. He was the starting quarterback on a Big Ten champion that made the playoff two years ago. He didn't do anything wrong. He just got beat out by J.J. McCarthy. I, I'm excited to see what he can do. I, I, I think you may be right, Sean. I don't know. I, I'm, I still lean toward Wisconsin because I'm very excited about what that offense is going to look like with that offensive line and those backs. But I can, I can buy Iowa as the final Big Ten West champ. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into it as we speak. Well, like Minnesota and some of these other teams, their schedules are too tough. Like Minnesota draws everybody on the East. Um, so like you, and they have a quality team, but they're just, I think when you look at the divisions now, you have to look at those crossovers and it's set up for one of those two teams to, to probably win the West. And uh, just based on, they can get potentially two wins out of the East and heck, Iowa could beat Penn State. That's not out of the question that they, they, they can beat Penn State. Oh yeah, no. It, I, I'm fascinated because they can. They're going to keep the score down against everybody, and you could have some crazy special teams plays that that swing the balance or that that just change field position or even defensive scores that change everything for Iowa. So if their offense is adequate, functional, those two adjectives are all I really need, and and I, I feel pretty confident about them. Yeah, punting from the. 50 versus the 25 or the 45 versus the 25 it makes a huge difference for a team like Iowa. And I, I, I feel like they'll get that boost and in McNamara's mobility alone, they haven't really had a quarterback no. that can move at his level out of the pocket, um, which will, I, I, I'm just intrigued. And you know, the, you know, Brian Ferentz is motivated um, to, oh. to, to keep his job. He's got to average 25 points a game or he's not going to keep his job. Like, yeah, he's very motivated. So We'll have we'll have the drive for three twenty five tote board on there. I think I well we'll have to we're gonna all meet at Big Ten Media Days and agree on how if it needs to be three hundred or three twenty five because I've had multiple people say hey it's not three twenty five the the deal with Brian Ferentz is they have to average twenty five points a game and they have to win seven games so my thing is if you have to win seven games it means you're playing thirteen but I think probably. The, the, the people who've said it's just 300 are right because let's say they're seven and five in the regular season or eight and four in the regular season, or if, if they're winning the West, like you said, maybe they're nine and three, they'll have scored 300 points in 12 games and he'll be fine. Yeah. It, that I've never seen anything like this before where a hard number is put down in writing and they tried to do something with Scott Frost in that sense. And then mm-hmm. finally it was released that really all Scott Frost had to do was win six games. 
That is, <laughs> it, it is amazing. It is a, like a loser leaves town match contract. It's the, it's definitely the first one I've ever seen for a coordinator with points. I've seen, you know, you've seen head coaches and wins, but coordinator with points. It's amazing. Sean Callahan. I cannot wait to see you in Indianapolis. We are going to have to split a, uh, a shrimp cocktail, or maybe I'll get one for myself and you get one for yourself. And a Kilroy's as well. That's always a good uh, Thursday oh, night spot. Absolutely. Oof. I like the way you think. Sean Callahan, Husker Online. We'll see you at Big Ten Media Day. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to Sean Callahan. We head back to the SEC next with the rarest of things, a four-year starter at quarterback who is actually entering his fourth year in college. Will Rogers at Mississippi State has a brand new offense. He talks about what it's going to look like as the Bulldogs move away from the air raid. When we return on Andy Staples on three, we'll be right back. We are here with Mississippi State quarterback Will Rogers, year number four as yes, a sir. starter. And but you're you mentioned you you were feeling old, but like, do you ever look at your defense and say, no, 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 y'all are old guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Chet Buki, I think this is their sixth year. Crumity, this is his sixth year. Yes. So, no, those guys are old. So Jaden Crumity, your D tackle, I was looking at this earlier today. I was like, did he play with Jeffrey Simmons? Yes, he did, as a freshman. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I remember he, uh, he played against me in high school. He was a senior when I was a sophomore. Wow. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that y'all have been there that long, but it's, it's a very different year for you guys, obviously, with Coach Arnett taking over. Um, yeah, I knew Coach Leach pretty well, and, and it was just awful. What was that that period of time like for you guys when you knew you lost him and, and had to kind of keep going? I mean, it was difficult uh, for sure, but, I mean, I think the transition went about as smooth as it can go. Yeah. Uh, from Coach Leach to Coach Arnett, uh, I think Coach Arnett does a really, really good job. He knew the team. He knew the program. So yeah. I think it was really big for us to, you know, kind of put our Coach Arnett in that head coaching role. And, mm. uh, and you know, I think he's done a tremendous job. Did, it seemed like it went pretty quick. Did you did you guys as players say, hey, we we really like this guy. Please consider him. And Yeah, I mean, I had been asked by a couple guys if I thought Coach Arnett was was the best guy for the job. And I said, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, you – you promote Coach Arnett, or you have to go job searching, and then yeah. take all the time, and then and I, I just thought at the time with what our program needed and everything that had happened, I think Coach Arnett is the best job, is the best guy for the job at Mississippi State. And so he goes and hires Coach Barbado on the offense, and obviously it's a very different offense than, than what you've been doing. What's mm -hmm. this past few months been like for that for you? It's been good, man. I'm, I'm really excited about the offense come come time for the season. I think Coach Barbet's done a really, really good job of implementing his stuff, but then also, you know, seeing what w we did well as a, as a unit and uh, as the personnel that we have. So he's done a really good job, and, you know, I think everybody's excited about the new offense. I was going to say, what, what will we see from you that maybe you didn't get a chance to do in the old offense? I guess we'll get to see in Oh, not, not even – no yeah, secrets. I mean, I mean, okay. I mean it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe more downfield shots. Uh, so, but you know, we're, we're going to do what we do, uh, play hard, uh, play hard nose football, uh, probably some new run schemes for sure. And, uh, you know, we're all looking forward to it. We're excited. So having played in, in all these stadiums, played against all these defenses, how much does that help versus, you know, when, when you first started doing this and you're looking across the field and it's Alabama's defense or it's mm -hmm. Georgia's defense? Yeah, no, I think it's helped a ton. You know, I've played. I've played probably the best team in the country the past three years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's definitely helped. It's definitely helped a ton. Uh, so now when we go play those road games, and our four road games this year are all in hostile territory oh, yeah. or whatever yeah. you want to call it. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to those games, though. Like I said, we have a veteran group, a veteran, veteran group of players that have played in a lot of different road games and road atmospheres. So, uh, you know, I think that's something we'll be able to handle. I, I was listening to a podcast where some offensive linemen were talking about going on the road in the SEC and how hard it is to, to hear that clap for the first time. And then mm -hmm. once you once you kind of hear it, you've heard it. But for you as a quarterback, when you're in a very hostile environment, how worried are you about communication and how long does it take before you're you're comfortable with 
okay, my guys can, can hear me and, and do what they got to do? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm worried about it. I'm sad I just have to be, like, alert for it. Like, yeah. you're, like we're not playing at home. Like, they can't hear me from five yards behind. So, yeah. you know, you got to make sure you kind of over-communicate things and uh, really take caution on, you yeah. know, guys can't hear. So, you really be extra loud. Speaking of noise, in your home stadium, your fans, they like the cowbells. They do. You guys make a big play, and they're clanging. Do you ever, do you ever have to be like, guys, save it for after we score no no I, I love it i mean every time they're ringing it that means something's good happening so you can't you can't hate on it all right will rogers thank you so much yes sir y'all have a good one thanks so much to will rogers and the mississippi state athletic staff for getting us that interview when we return gay biker former oklahoma center sirius xm host oklahoma radio network host host of his own Oklahoma podcast, good Lord, the man has a million jobs, will be with us to talk Sooners and forget the SEC ready part of it, though we get to that a little bit. Let's talk about how ready are the Sooners right now in Brent Venable's second season and in their final season in the Big 12. We'll be right back. We welcome a very special guest, former Oklahoma Center, host of the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast, host on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, works for the Oklahoma Radio Network. Gay Biker, how many jobs do you have? During the season, it's five radio shows for Sirius. It's three TV shows for OU. It's the radio broadcast of the games. And then one bet online show that I added last year. Wow. I think that's it. That is a lot of jobs. That is amazing. Content, baby. Content. You are a, a, a great content creator, and that's why we've got you here, because we're going to create some content talking about the Sooners. Now, I've talked to our, my friends at Sooner Scoop about this whole idea of SEC readiness, and uh, I thought it was interesting because all the Oklahoma media showed up at SEC Media Days, and just try, they were trying to get a sense of how it all works. And I'm trying to get a sense of where Oklahoma's at right now, though, Gabe, because they got one more year in the Big 12, it feels like they should be significantly better than they were last year. Everybody's kind of looking ahead to 2024, but what is this 2023 team going to be like? Yeah. And that is, you know, that that's the question because you, you want to have you, if you're Brent Venables in Oklahoma football, you want to have a really successful 2023 leading in, to your first season in the SEC in 2024, where you're kind of entering a whole new world. Yeah, the the team, it's a bit of a mystery, right? And, you know, just starting with the defense, there, there are some new faces, right? You think about some of the key additions through the portal that they've added, like Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest, like Desan McCullough from Indiana. Those mm-hmm. guys are... You know, those guys should be big factors in improving the defense. But for the most part, it's it's a lot of the same guys that gave up 36 points per game in conference games a year ago. Right? Yeah. And, and we'll we'll see if if Brent Venables can get it turned around. I expect them to be significantly better defensively than they were a season ago. Is that a matter of just learning the defense? Because I, I that was the thing that that seemed to really get them last year, like especially the TCU game, where it blown assignments where somebody's just running wide open. That's not a that's not an effort thing. That's not a, a player ability thing. That's a mental mistake thing. I would imagine that's the part you can clean up the most between season one and season two. Yeah, there's no doubt, right? When you think about all of all of the mental errors they had a year ago, I mean, they added up, they piled up. And the thing that, and you know this, Andy, you've played, when you are when you are unsure of what to do out there on the field, you play slow. You, you, it, it's really hard to play with the physicality you need to play with if you're unsure of what you're supposed to do. And... I mean, you can go back and watch some of OU's defense last year where you can almost watch the wheels spin 
right. for some of those yeah. guys. See on the, the gears defense. turning in their heads, yes. Yeah, as, you know, communicating, adjusting the motions, adjusting to shifts, things like that. It just wasn't as, it wasn't as seamless as it needs to be. And the hope is that, you know, guys like Danny Stutzman and Ethan Downs and all this experience they have back in the secondary, you know, led by Key Lawrence and, and Billy Bowman and Woody Washington, that that stuff is all now second nature for them. And that those guys that should know the system, those veteran guys that should know the system now can elevate everyone else in the room's knowledge of the system right where where players can help the younger guys the transfers the freshmen that may that may play a part on the field this season that that can kind of just lift the entire level of play for the whole group i mean that's what you're hoping for if you're brent venables well if you move to the other side of the ball you look at dylan gabriel's stats from last year he he did fine it seems like but this is an offense that is actually working at its best when it is gaining a ton of yards on the ground. And you, you take Garrett Gray out, who had 6.4 yards of carry, ran for 1366 last year. Can they do that? Can they be that offense that that gains, you know, five, six yard chunks very regularly on the ground between passes? Because it seems like that's what really wears out the defense. Yeah, that is that's who they want to be. Right. And you think about Jeff Levy's best offenses at Ole Miss, you know, what he was able to do at other places. It, it, it's about running the football with him. And that that is what he wants to do. Uh, but they lost three starting offensive linemen from mm-hmm. a year ago. Right. They lost two offensive tackles. You know, one was a first round pick and Anton Harrison. Juan A. Morris was the third rounder. So you lost some talented guys. Now you're replacing them with talented guys, right? Walter Rouse transfers in to be your left tackle uh, from Stanford and Tyler Guyton is going to be their right tackle. Maybe the most talented out of all these guys that we're talking about. I mean, I think the ceiling is top 10 pick. Wow. For him. Yeah. Bill Beatonbow. And obviously Beatonbow was my coach, my senior year at Oklahoma. It's his first year at OU. Now him and I have had the conversation that Guyton may be the most talented player he's ever coached. Wow. And, so, and there's some very good ones in there. Uh, yeah. Orlando so the Brown surely left tackle for the Chiefs being one of them. Yeah, the potential is there. But you've got some question marks for the offensive line, right? How will it all come together? And yeah. as boring as it is to talk about, like offensive line play is it's a huge, huge piece of playing offense at a high level. And if Oklahoma wants to run the football efficiently and set up a lot of the pass game, the RPO game, then that offensive line, they got to gel in training camp. They got to play at a high level. One thing as far as the running game, which I I think is going to be something to monitor this season is now that Jackson Arnold is on campus Mm -hmm. and you feel better about the backup quarterback situation, Right. Anyone that watched the Texas game last year knows that yeah, OU's backup quarterback situation was not a good one in 2022. That they, puts it very lightly. Oh, dude, that game was so brutal. I've tried to erase it from my memory. It's just, it makes me sad. That's the least fun I've ever had at a football game. As a player, as a fan, you know, calling the game, it was, I was miserable. Absolutely miserable. But how much more involved will Dylan Gabriel be as a runner? They were pretty cautious yeah. with him a year ago as far as dialing up some QB run game. And if you think about some of the things Levy has done in the past, like he has been he's been willing to run the quarterback. Including willing to run Dylan Gabriel as a UCF freshman. Right. So now that you're feeling better about things and you have a guy as talented as Jackson Arnold behind Dylan Gabriel, how much more involved does DG become as a runner and what, what does that add to the offense as a whole? Because you can ask a lot of defensive coordinators out there, like QB run game is a nightmare. It's what keeps defensive coordinators up at night. And 
Dylan Gabriel is not, I mean, he's not out there running a four, four or anything, but he, he is an athletic guy that can do, do some pretty substantial damage when he needs to as a runner. So, well, remember where he was committed before UCF and actually Georgia and USC showed up late in his recruitment too, but the first offer and the one he was going to take was army. He was going to run the ball. He wasn't going to throw the ball. So be a triple option guy. Yeah. He's a pretty effective runner. And I, I think you're right. I think probably when people look back at that, that offense, his freshman year at UCF and say, well, he, he was with Levy then. How come it didn't look like that? I think you, you've hit upon the answer right there is they're scared to get him hurt. Yeah. And <laughs> we saw it, right? He goes out in the TCU game. I don't want to make it clear. TCU was going to win that football game, even if Dylan Gabriel yeah, didn't stayed matter. healthy. There was that offense. They were, they were cooking the Sooners defense that day, but we saw how bad it was uh, in the cotton bowl against Texas, but interesting year for Dylan Gabriel. He's an experienced guy. I, I think that if he wasn't being compared to Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and Jalen hurts and even Caleb Williams, right. With what right. he was able to do at USC a year ago, going and winning the Heisman trophy, uh, people would probably have a more, favorable opinion of the way that he played a year ago but that has you know Heisman Trophy finalists win the Big 12 and go to the college football playoff is the standard for the quarterback position at Oklahoma now whether it's fair or not it just is so it's going to be interesting to see how well he plays especially with I mean they've got question marks at wide receiver right you lose Marvin Mims now, Jalil Farouk showed showed a little bit last year, but do they have a guy that can that can step up and become that go-to guy? Like Drake Stoops is a reliable guy, but you know, can Andrell Anthony, the Michigan transfer, can he be that guy that stretches the field for him? Brendan Thompson, the speedster that's transferred from Texas, can he be that guy? They've got a couple of young wide receivers in Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson who are huge and look the part, but Guys haven't done anything. They really have no proven playmaker at the tight end position, despite Austin Stogner playing a lot of football. Like he, he's not a guy that has been a huge, a huge threat in the passing game throughout his career. So there's a lot of question marks for them at the skill positions. And it's up to Dylan Gabriel ultimately to, you know, get the most out of these guys. So last year in the Big 12. Now, obviously, Texas is going with OU, so that that will all continue. But what are you going to miss the most? What are you going to cherish as, as you go through this season and you see you know, this particular team or uniform or you go to this particular stadium? What, what are you going to cherish the most? Man, that is, that's an awesome question. I, I think that the line is bedlam. Because I am born and raised in Oklahoma City. Bedlam has been a part of my life literally as long as I can remember life. It has been like growing up, you know, I was born and raised as an Oklahoma fan, was fortunate enough to go, you know, live out a childhood dream and play there, the whole thing. And Bedlam was always for bragging rights. Like as a kid, as a fan, and then as a player, went three and one, by the way. And just after that, there's because OU Texas is like that's that's the rivalry, right? Yep. But I don't live next to Texas grads. I live a bunch, uh, live amongst a bunch of Oklahoma State fans. Right? Not mostly OU fans, because I surround myself with good people that make good decisions. <laughs> but I, that's, I, I hate that that's going away. I, I hate, I, I really do. I think games like that one, even though it's been very lopsided and you'll get some of you fans to tell you it's not a rivalry because we've whooped them the way that we have, but that game is special to me, you know, as an Oklahoman and it's going away. I mean, it's yeah. obvious now you've heard, we've all heard what Mike Gundy has said. Game's going away, and I just hope that at some point we can get it back. Yeah, this one, more than any other, feels like it's not coming back. Like, 
with Texas and Texas A&M, you always assumed it was going to come back. Not necessarily in this way with Texas joining the same conference, but you figured eventually the people who were involved in the, in the conference moves would cycle out and they just schedule one another in a non-conference game. If, if, you know, they hadn't joined the same conference, this one feels different. This feels like a, I'm leaving you behind an Oklahoma state saying, okay, then we're done. We're, we're just done. Yeah. And uh, I think it's bad for college football. And I, and listen, I understand the reasons. Like I get it. And I understand it's my alma mater. That's making the move that, you know, takes these teams out of the conference, the same conference. I get that. But Iowa State and Iowa find a way to do it. Yep. Florida State and Florida find a way to do it. South Carolina, Clemson. Yeah. Kentucky. A lot of other people that have found a way. And I know that people want to say, well, their schedule out for X amount of years. I, I just hope eventually cooler heads prevail and they make it work because Bottom line for me is like the state of Oklahoma is better when Bedlam happens and college yeah. football is better when Bedlam happens. So yeah, that's the main thing. And then I always love going to Manhattan. I love that. Those that's one of the most underrated fan bases in all of college. It's a football. Great, great stadium, great college town period that Aggieville oh. outside of campus is a, tr- a tremendous bar restaurant district and then you get in that stadium and they are loud. They are they are as loud as you can imagine 50,000 being loud. And one of my favorite things, I'd always sneak into the sweet level and eat the sweet buffet. <laughs> We're not going to Manhattan this year, so I can I can admit to that at this point in time. There you go. And I I developed a good relationship with with Chris Kleiman and I just I, I respect the hell out of that program. And, and what they're doing. I think they're going to have a ton of success moving forward. So I'm going to miss going to Manhattan. And then I, I love McLean stadium in Waco. It is a beautiful stadium. I, I just love how they built it. It's like this blend of a, of a mini NFL stadium and like a European soccer stadium put together. It, it, I just love the environment and their media food is tremendous Andy I know that's the old fat guy in me coming out but I I, I really like going down there and see it's funny because I, I I don't remember the media food as much because the the dining options in Waco have exploded oh yeah there's there's so many good places to eat in Waco now where there weren't before like you had to go to George's and get the crazy wings or get the gut box at Vtex the the, the options have cons- gotten considerably better you get the those biscuits at Chip and Joanna's breakfast place. You go out to Hellberg barbecue. So, but, but that stadium Baylor's and TCU's built around the same time, different, different ways. The TCU is just more of your traditional small stadium, but both of them, it feels like every seat is fantastic that you can reach out and touch the players on the field. What I love about the Baylor one is if you want to go grab a, a drink at the concession stand or a hot dog, you can do that. And those concourses, you just stand there and watch the game. It's still a great view. Yeah. No, I did. I unfortunately I played in the old one that was just <laughs> Floyd a Casey dump. Yeah. Floyd Casey and we won RG three a Heisman on that field, unfortunately. <laughs> but <laughs> it is it. You know, besides going to the venues, you know, and interacting with those fan bases because I'm down on the sideline for the game and I get to. You know, I'm wearing OU stuff as part of the radio crew, and there's a little chirping going back and forth, and that's that's fun. I will, you 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 develop relationships over the years, right? And, and that's yeah. the stuff I'll miss. It's like seeing, you know, whether it's athletic directors or some of the coaches that we have on our serious show that I get to catch up with at Big Twelve Media Days. Like seeing those guys uh, on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis. Uh, I, I will miss that because I've developed some really good relationships. Seeing the other the other radio team, you know, the relationships you develop, just having that bond and kind of knowing, you know, what knowing what those guys are going through and, and kind of crossing paths year after year. You know, I'll I'll miss all that stuff because, you know, ultimately this is it's all about relationships in this business. Like meeting people, getting to know these people, developing those relationships over years and 
yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good people in the big 12 and a lot of, a lot of people I'm going to miss running into. Well, you, uh, you got to figure out with Sirius XM, whether you're, uh, you're staying on big 12 radio or headed over to sec radio. So lots yeah. of, you lots know, of that's unknowns. not up to me, man. I just, I just, I'm a company guy. I'll just, wherever, wherever Mike Masvinsky puts me is where I'm, where I'm going to be. Well, I know you will do fantastic wherever it is. You do fantastic at all nine of your jobs at all times. Gabe Iker, thank you so much for joining us. OU, K-State, Big 12 championship game. There you there go. Oh, you get to see him again one more time. One more time. Why not? Thanks so much to Gabe Iker. When we come back, my extra point. We started this show talking about Jim Harbaugh. Now we're going to finish it talking about a guy who worked with Jim Harbaugh very recently and whose son played for Jim Harbaugh, Biff Pogey, the new head coach at Charlotte. He was kind of the man behind the curtain at Michigan the last few years. He's a fascinating figure, very successful hedge fund manager, got into coaching at a private school in Baltimore where he basically was funding the entire operation, built this national power with a bunch of really good players who all went on to play college football and some of them are with him now because he's now the head coach at Charlotte. And let's say that Biff Pogey was not pleased with the amount of attention his program was getting at American Athletic Conference Media Days. Any other questions for Coach? That's it? Three questions? Maybe right, that's because you have us ranked last. That's all what you think of us. <laughs> so that, that we, we get that message. Thank you. Uh-oh, American. Look out. If you look back in this guy's history, He's done well at pretty much everything he's done. There's, there's a very Joe Moglia sense. If you don't know who that is, he's the guy who founded Ameritrade. And then when he retired, he wound up volunteering at Nebraska, became the head coach at Coastal Carolina, and kind of laid the foundation for what Coastal Carolina became once Jamie Chadwell took over. Biff Pogey is a very motivated guy. And I don't think he needs a lot of help developing the chip on the shoulder. But he's certainly got it now. He's been picked last. He only got three questions at Media Days. He's ready to go. Now, the question I want answered, if you've watched the documentary on the high school team he coached, he did not wear sleeves when he coached. Is it possible we will see an FBS head coach coaching sleeveless? That would have been the fourth question. Had I been there, I'm sorry I wasn't. Good luck. We'll see how the Charlotte 49ers compare to their predicted ranking. My guess is Biff Pogey is going to make sure they wind up ranked a lot higher at the end. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. On Wednesday, we will be in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days. As you can see, there's a lot going on in the Big Ten between Northwestern, Michigan, this is Ohio State Day on Wednesday. Ryan Day and the Buckeyes are coming to visit Indianapolis. So we shall see what everyone says. I guarantee there will be a wealth of material. It's going to be a fun show. Talk to you then.